Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is a compulsive gambler, so I'd like to welcome Ryan to the show. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Bill. Excited to be here. Good. I'm pleased. Ryan's a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and today he's going to share his recovery experience, uh, talk about his gambling story and how he ended up going to Gamblers Anonymous to seek help for his gambling compulsion. So, Ryan, we usually start by talking about growing up and family and things like that. So what was life like for you as a kid? It was quite gamble-free, actually in my teens and my early years, but um, I always sort of had a bit of, my dad always loved his horse racing and just the normal things my grandfather loved um, and my grandmother, they all loved horse racing and that. So we'd always watch the Melbourne Cup and uh, enjoy it as a, as a family. And, and yeah, that was, that was probably most of the gambling that was involved in my life in the teens as far as my family connections go. Yeah. So did any of them have a gambling problem? Uh, my grandfather a little bit. Not. I don't think he ever got to the level that I did, but he. Um, I would actually say that his gambling wasn't as much of a problem for him um, as other things. So he was a bit of an alcoholic and he was a smoker as well, right up until his, his days before he passed. He was doing quite a lot of that. Yeah. And then gambling was probably the third one to him, but he did. I don't think I'd call him a compulsive gambler, though, but he he gambled like a normal person a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what was your early gambling experience with them? Was it mainly horses or? Mainly horses, yeah. Um, although, actually, my, my grandfather did used to come over, so he was from Perth. And uh, when he'd come over to see us a lot of the time, we'd always be playing some cards and some poker and things like that and horse racing and he'd buy me some scratchies every now and then. And that was, yeah, that was probably most of where, most of what I had when I was a teenager, I guess. Yeah. So what was your early life like? Did you have any brothers or sisters? Yes. So I've got two older sisters. Yeah, I was pretty close, pretty close with the middle sister. My older sister, she's, um, she's intellectually disabled, so she doesn't, um, doesn't talk and that but you know it's always good to go and go and see her every now and then and yeah I think I've been pretty tight with my family most of the time yeah so what was school like for you school was actually all right I was probably always felt as though I was um, a little bit on the outer I I like to be a bit different when I was a kid growing up with a couple of my decisions but yeah as far as gambling goes none of that sort of became a factor in my my school days I don't think not until very end anyway yeah so what do you mean you're a bit on the outer what what does that mean I just I just always felt like I was different like like in primary school I um I would actually kind of actually kind of get um ganged up on a little bit and I'm actually a, a professional runner but it probably started in those early days when my mum used to always joke and I'd always run from the kids who try to bully me and try to dodge them and that so it wasn't an ideal childhood (laughs) no no that's right so did things change once you got to secondary school they did although in year seven and eight was a very interesting time for me obviously it was an adjustment I went to a very good public high school and um they didn't tolerate that. So I think, you know, when I thought I could get away with throwing pen lids at, at teachers when they're not looking in that, I, I didn't, I kind of did call me up on that. <laughs> so I got put in my place very quickly. But I definitely came, became a much better 
kid growing up when I was when I got into high school for sure. So why do you think you were such an annoying kid? <laughs> Looking back. Yeah, um, I think when I was little, like when I was in kinder and that, I was a nightmare. I was um, I got expelled from kindergarten um, for biting all the kids, uh, and I was just a horror child. You know, stayed at my aunt and uncle's house one day, and I was I threw her cat off the balcony, and I was just I was just a nightmare. I don't know what it was. Um, I was actually allergic to citrus actually when I was young, so. We didn't know that, but I, I, I did sort of have a bit of a allergic reaction to it, and I was acting a bit crazy when I when I had a bit of that. Unusual. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who's been allergic to uh, to citrus. Yeah. <laughs> so my parents didn't know they were innocently giving me, you know, uh, orange in the in the morning, or whatever, and wonder what they'd done wrong as a parent. <laughs> uh, that's a bit crazy. Uh, so what about friendships then at school? I had a few close ones. I've never been the type to have lots of friends, but probably a couple of really close friends I've always had. Yeah, so I've always, I didn't um, stay in touch with many after high school and none after primary school, but I, in those days, I, I, I was pretty tight. I like to, easy to sort of get along with in that, I guess. Yeah. So you mentioned you're a runner. So were you involved in um, sports as a kid? Yes, yes. I've always loved my sport. It's been pretty big in my life. I've done probably seven or eight sports if I add them all up from when I was about five. And um, running was probably the one that stuck the longest. I started that when I was about 13 or 14 and, and, and I still do it even today. Yeah. So when, when did you start getting involved in gambling or wanting to gamble? Funnily enough, I it was actually... When I was about 21, I'd split up with my first partner at, um, that I had. And it was kind of weird because I just, for some reason, I don't know if it felt like I was not doing the things that I wanted to do. But then as soon as that happened, a week later, I remember that was actually the time I did, um, you know, cross that invisible line, so to speak. Yeah. So had you gambled before, before that? A little bit. And I probably started, I definitely had phases where I could have definitely been a compulsive gambler in those earlier days, but it, it never really got to the point where it was out of control before then. Yeah. So what do you, what do you call, you know, starting gambling for you? What, what did that look like? That looks like um, being able to gamble and not being able to stop, not being able to set limits and stick to them, pretty much just having no, like, no levels of like nothing can stop me. You know, I do whatever I could to sort of get that money and gamble when I did sort of hit that, that age. Yeah. So what were you gambling on? Um, mostly the pokey machines actually um, was actually my biggest addiction. That being said, obviously I did gamble on, you know, still would gamble on sport, sporting events and pretty much anything that I could get involved in, but that was that was definitely the one that I could uh, that I struggled to control. Um, well, I did, couldn't control at all, basically. Yeah. So did you did you split up with your partner because of your gambling? No, I didn't. That's the thing. It um I think I did it because it just it just wasn't, you know, for me it wasn't working and just sort of a personal level and um I don't know why. It just emotionally, I just thought my mind was just a bit all over the shop. I didn't really know what I wanted in life and where I was at. And so for some, I didn't even know how much I was gambling that time that I was when I crossed that line because my mind was just, it was just elsewhere. I wasn't even in the moment really. Yeah. So were you working at the time? Yes, uh, I, I was. I was still studying at uni. Um, but I had, yeah, I had uh, a casual job. So when you realised you were sort of gambling too much, what what did you do? Did you take any action, or you just it just went away? It just became less of a problem. Um, I actually did. I um, that time when I gambled like a week out, I uh, I actually won quite a large sum of money, which I had to 
use as a, a, a check when I left the venue. And then it was kind of, it wasn't until I'd sort of left a couple of days and I realised how much I'd actually won and how dangerous, because I know that, you know, although I've never, I've never had any other addictions, luckily, apart from that, I just knew something wasn't right. And I actually told my parents and said, look, I've been gambling. This is what happened. I won a large sum of money and, you know, I want to be able to go and buy some, buy some clothes and look after myself and do that. And I don't want to ever go back to that again. So I actually told them that week pretty much. Yeah. So what did you do with the money? Did you bank it? I banked it and my parents just said, oh, well, it's good. You've got a plan. And yeah, and, and they, they, they supported me. They was like, okay, that, that's good. Yeah. So I put in my bank account and yeah, and we know what happened from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so your parents obviously weren't concerned at that point, even though you'd mentioned that you'd, yeah, you were gambling. A little bit, yeah, a little bit, especially when I told them sort of the sum and that I knew that I was gambling quite a bit. I can't remember specifically, but part of me thinks that I did sort of keep that 5% hard to my chest and I didn't tell them every single element to it. But, yeah, I, I did I did tell them and I told them because I, yeah, I, I legitimately, honestly never wanted to go back there again. That was where I was at. Yeah. So how did things change then? What, what was the, the trigger to start gambling again? Probably just a bit of boredom and also not having enough commitment in my life with anything. I was still living with my parents and I was studying at uni and I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a partner. I didn't have any, anyone or anything to really keep me accountable. Um, and so I just, it's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go out there and I wanted to get on and ride the highs of, of and lows of, uh, of gambling. Yeah. So a lot of people sort of describe gambling, you know, particularly the pokers as being in a zone and sort of not thinking about anything else while you're doing it. So were you trying to block something out? Yeah, nothing in particular, um, I think. I think it was just, but then once I did start gambling, everything was automatically blocked out. Like, you know, if I had, if I had an event on or someone had called me, you know, they, they wouldn't be contacted not until I've left and I'm in a, a miserable mood because I've, um, you know, lost more money than I'd planned or whatever. Yeah. So did you find you were spending your, your paycheck each week? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I'd say in the early days I managed to get through phases where I could get, I said, no, nah, no, nah, Ryan, you can't do that anymore. You've got to stop. And I I actually did things um like I'd, I'd set up a, a payment on my internet banking so that the day I got paid, a certain amount went straight into another account and I said, I'm not going to touch it. I did things like that. And I was actually able to, to get myself at times a couple of months without gambling. And even though it was tempting, I was able to sort of get through some phases like that. But then, but it just never lasted. And it was just always a, a vulnerable time or something. And I was just always straight back there, transferring all the money out of the account that I, I deliberately put aside and everything just went straight out the window. Well, it uh, doesn't sound good. So did your gambling impact your friendships and relationships? Uh, I don't think it stopped any of my friendships from operating or anything like that. It definitely impacted them though. So my... Um, you know, like there was one of my friends that I borrowed money off a couple of times because I literally had no money to survive for a week. And, you know, and, that, and, and I'm normally such a generous person. I like hate doing things like that. So that's when I knew I was, you know, at a real low point. Obviously lying to my parents made me feel like I was always holding something because they thought that I'd just managed to stop gambling that day. Yeah, so I just kind of, I think over time it, it didn't it didn't wreck any friendships and family, but it, it certainly impacted them. And I think they still those people still probably have a bit of distrust for those things. Um, not as much, but you know, I'm sure there's still a little bit of doubt. I reckon. Mm. So, what about with your sister? Were you able to 
let her know what was happening or not? I did. I did. I actually found it easier to probably tell her than my parents only because I felt that she would, you know, even though she wouldn't probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't understand how I could be doing it or anything like that, she'd be able to sort of give me advice around, yes, you should tell mum and dad or this is what you should do or, or this and this. So it was it was kind of good to have someone like that, I think, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it always helps if if you can share it with someone because mm. it, it allows you to sort of put it into, I guess, perspective yourself. Yeah. Because a lot of the self-deception stuff is when you're only talking to yourself. Yeah. It's easy to keep that cycle going. Yeah. Once you tell someone else, it's sort of uh, the structure. It, it's very hard to maintain that deception, self-deception. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So was it affecting your work? It didn't. No. It didn't affect my work I was, as in I was still there in the hours I needed to be and things like that. Although there were times when I'd go over my lunch break because I was that desperate that I had to gamble in my lunch break and couldn't leave the venue. But other than missing that little, you know, period here and there, I was pretty much always there. That was one of the things that I just always did. I just got myself there and rocked up without thinking. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, listen, we might take a short break there and we'll have a song and a few announcements. Sweet Living Free is featuring uh, Mixed Reaction. Thanks for contacting us, Mick. So we'll play a couple of your songs today. The first one up is World of Thirds, which I think is Mick's latest song. So I hope you enjoy it.
Hey, you mob. This virus is hanging around far too long, don't you reckon? Uncle Jack Charles here, and I, for one, would love to be back with community. This just isn't possible without vaccinating our community. You can contact your local ACCO and they can give you the information you need to book you an appointment so you're on your way. Together we can do better. Community, unity, immunity. Hashtag VaxDanProud. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today I'm talking with Ryan and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gambles Anonymous. So, Ryan, you mentioned at the end that your gambling had got you to the point of, you know, borrowing money off friends, not telling your parents the the truth about your gambling. So how did gambling progress in your life? It progressed firstly from a financial sense. I always said to myself in the early days, you know, once I'd taken out that first credit card or whatever it was, I always would convince myself that I just wanted to to get that paid off and that I would go back just to try to win enough money to then pay that off so I could move forward, forget about it and live happily ever after. And I I truly believe that that's what I could actually do. Yeah, never happened. (laughs) But, (laughs) and then, yeah, it just just kept on going on. I just, um, I didn't want to stop once I started and the feeling of of doing it again and saying, oh, I can never go through that ever again, it wouldn't happen that way. You know, I'd always, uh, even even I'd feel so flat, like the lowest point in my life, I'd say, I'm never going to do this ever again. And then as soon as I got paid that next cycle, like it would just be a new thought, a new urge or whatever I wanted to do on that day. So you gambled till you lost all the money. And then as soon as you got some more money, you gambled again. So gambling on on the face of it doesn't appear to be something that you do to have money. Yeah, no, no. I think, um, you know, I think in the early days, there's always those, those thoughts, you know, that, that day that I, um, that I crossed that line and, and won a large sum of money and, and potentially could have bought myself some nice things with that. You know, I, I, I did have that. But I didn't stop, did I? So obviously it wasn't about just 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 winning the money. It was about it was about a lot more than that. So I kept going back and I kept I kept losing. And then when I'm ahead, I kept staying, you know, like it was it was never enough. Never enough, yeah. So what's it like then to, to walk out of a venue after you've lost all your money and realize that really you've got nothing nothing to live on? What's that like? Oh, it's, it's so scary. Um, like it's really hard feeling to explain, but I, um, I think it became almost the norm, sadly. Mm. And I was just, you know, doing it. I was used to living off that. And then I was, and then if, if I had not enough money, 
I always knew that I was able to still get a little bit of extra money um, by overdrawing my accounts. I knew that I always had a plan B and a plan C to, to get myself by. And then if that plan C wasn't enough, then I'd, I'd ask my friends or I'd ask someone, you know, so it kind of didn't stop me. I just, I still did it. Yeah. So what did you do for food when, in the times when you didn't, when you had got to plan C but hadn't asked your friends? Well, I was very lucky in my early days in that I um, I lived with my parents and, you know, I'm very grateful. I've got a, um, uh, a wonderful family and they, they'd always support me. And, um, you know, even when I came home from uni, half the, most of the time my dinner would be sitting there in the oven, you know, like I just, it would just be there. I was never worried that I wouldn't have food because, because of that. Lunch, on the other hand, well, most of the time I'd, you know, had a pretty luxurious life when I was working in those days. I'd always buy myself a lunch and, and didn't seem to have any, any um, concepts for money or budgets or anything like that. But then I know I knew that if I bought my lunch, everything else is kind of covered for, you know, the dinner and the breakfast and all. So I was pretty fortunate. Yeah. So what's it like to borrow money off friends? Oh, it's, it's such a low point. Like to have to ask someone who isn't a gambler, doesn't really understand why I would do such a thing. He was just so supportive I feel like he wouldn't even question or he wouldn't even you know and I only did it a couple of times but when I did do it he just was such a good mate that he would just be like okay and he knew that I'd pay him back because I actually would I would 100% pay him back it's like I had my morals of I'll always pay my friends back and my family back but I'll never leave myself enough money to survive (laughs) that's classic isn't it it is (laughs) Yeah, very strange. Yeah, but I guess we do that in lots of things. We always look after other people first in lots of ways. So it's probably not that unusual in real terms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, the, I guess, the lowest point of your gambling for you? Oh, um, yeah, the lowest point. There's actually probably two of them that come to mind. One of them I was, um, I was at Crown Casino and... I was gambling. I, as I said earlier, I always just wanted to have enough money to pay off all of my debts. And I remember once I was there and I had won enough money to pay off all of my debts right in front of me. And I've gone to walk to cash out and to walk out of that place and to seek help and could not get myself out of that venue. And, and it wasn't about the financial side, but it was about... For me, I thought that that was a big roadblock. I would never get over it until I've, it was such a big uh, milestone to pay off my gambling. And because it never happens, I just felt like I was just always working to basically fund my gambling. That's that's how I saw it. I wasn't fun. I wasn't saving money to buy myself a car or, you know, to save for a house. I was saving to pay off my biggest mistake in life. And, and, and the other one I want to, I'll say is um, I remember one night I couldn't actually, couldn't actually get myself out of a venue. I was in the city and I, um, I couldn't leave and I knew that last train was coming and I actually missed the last train because I was still there. So I was actually stuck in the city. I had no money and I actually was walking around the city in the early hours of the morning during the week and I was passing people that were homeless and I was honestly thinking that that was 100% where I was going to be. I was, I didn't know, I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't even, like I said, I knew the last train was coming and I, I still chose to stay at that venue to try to win more money and get myself home so I could get sleep and go to work the next day. Mm. That was probably the lowest night of my life. So how did you get home in the end? I caught the first train back at about 4.35 o'clock a.m., got home. I had about a one hour, probably less than an hour sleep, got changed straight back into the city and went to work. A long train trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sounds like it, yeah. So looking back, what, what do you think it is about not being able to leave the venue? What's the mindset? I used to always think in my head that 
if, if there's enough money that's been lost in a machine, it's going to eventually pay back. And I honestly was convinced. So I was so convinced that, you know, that it was just so bizarre that I would be losing all this money in a machine and I'd be more tempted to stay because I think that that money is going to then come back out. I don't know what it is, but it just it had me hooked. That and then obviously the, you know, the, the, the music and the colours and the sound of the features and everything, I just... I was just so immersed in a pokey venue and yeah, it, you'd have to pull me out and I probably still would, would be stuck in the venue. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened that caused you to, you know, start thinking that this wasn't what you wanted? It was a miserable life. You know, I was missing important things in my life that were important, that were still important to me. Even, even as a um, selfish and lonely person that I've become, there, there's still all of these things that I wanted to do and like basic things, like a friend gets married, I, you know, I just want to go to the wedding and get there on time without not being at a venue. And it's when I realised that I had no control over any of that anymore. It all depended on if I wanted to go gamble that day, if I could get myself out of the venue in time and if I had enough money, the, that's the only chance that I'd be able to go to an important event in someone important's life to me. And that's just sad, you know, like the biggest day of their life. And I can't, to me, get losing my money is more important um, than being at my friend's biggest day of their life. I just, that's not morally, doesn't sit morally right with me at all. No. So did you lose any friends that way? No. So I'm, I'm so grateful. I think I've just been lucky enough to have some really good friends. Um, I actually did tell one of my best mates I was actually late to his um, wedding once because I was gambling. I missed the whole ceremony. And I never told him in the early days because to me it's almost like a deal breaker. Like, you you know, I was, I was annoyed that he didn't have me as his best man. But then afterwards I was so glad that he didn't because I would have, like, what sort of best man would I have been, you know? I didn't I didn't deserve that yeah and then I actually told him he was going through some personal things the last couple of years last year or two and I actually told him about it a year or so ago and I said look there's something I've been meaning to tell you to get it off my chest and and it felt so good it felt so good to tell him because I've been hiding it for so long from him Mm. um and yeah I think he looked at me as I was at the start like he couldn't understand and then I, I just explained it to him and and he was fine yeah. yeah, people do find it hard to understand, you know, how you could be motivated in that way. I think that's the, you know, like why they, why, you know, why are you doing it? Why, why are you, why is that happening? Yeah, definitely. So, how did you try and explain to him? You know, what was the, what was the bit that he got? He was actually going through some things in his life at that time that weren't great, and. I think part of me thought that his life was really good and things were going really well for him and he'll never understand it. And then as soon as I saw, you know, he was sharing something, opening up with me that day, I think, sharing something really vulnerable. And then I kind of felt obliged to then do the same. And, yeah, kind of a bit, I just felt that I wasn't the only one that was in the wrong and then therefore it was okay to tell him. I I probably still, I still wish I'd just told him earlier on. But, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it came about that I told him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit hard to open up to one person if, you, if you're not being honest with a whole lot of other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So how did you reach out for help? I was actually, I was about to catch the train home one day and is when I was, yeah, starting to get extremely desperate. I actually called um, Gambler's Help, the, the very first one. Yeah. And I was so frust- I was so frustrated because I called and I couldn't I couldn't get through to anyone. I, I left a voicemail, and then as soon as I left, the, I called. They didn't answer, and then I called again like ten minutes later. They didn't answer again. I left a voicemail, and I thought, well, if they don't want to help me, then I'm going to go and gamble. So I went straight to a venue because they didn't answer. I'm like, well, yeah, to, like looking at it now, it's 
at Stubu. I was just that desperate to talk to someone and I needed someone there and then to answer and they didn't. And then I just thought, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Often a lot, a lot of people I talk to who go into rehab, you know, they're booked into rehab tomorrow. So they decide they just, you know, have a big drink or a big drug to get it out of their to get out of their system, I guess. Um, yeah. As you know, just going well. Yeah, I may as well just yeah you know, do that. If I'm going to recover tomorrow, then I'll just live life normally today. Yeah, that's it. So, so what was your next step? Um, well, then I did gamble for for a bit, and then I think like a week later or something, I think someone actually called me, and um, I actually did catch up with gamblers help, and. I remember that the first thing that they told me, this is this was obviously a while ago, but first thing that they told me was, you know, well, there's two paths. One is you can um, stop gambling completely. The other one is you can learn to control your gambling. I chose the latter. I said, well, I'd love to be able to control it. You know, like most people in my life can control it. My dad can, my family can, friends can. So I'll, I'll take that option. And it actually kind of went okay at the start. I think I, once again, I was able to get a month or two up of not gambling. I was seeing them quite often in that. And then it just went out the window. And then one day I just gambled again. So it helped, it helped me for that small window for sure. But then it was never going to make me not go back because I, I thought that I could control it. So I started trying to see if I could control it and it, was, and it didn't work for me. Yeah. So, so that's the first part. Sorry, Bill. And then the second part is might have been like another year or two later or something. Um, I, I got that desperate. I um, told my family again. I was actually a bit honest about the things that had happened. And they actually looked into Gamblers Anonymous for me. And um, I didn't actually like the idea of going to Gamblers Anonymous because you're being vulnerable and you're talking to people and then you have to tell people if you have been gambling or not which I knew would make me stop and I didn't want to stop so I was kind of like a bit in this circle but uh, yeah I was that desperate that I was like fine I'll go uh, my sister actually came with me because I, I felt weird she's like I'll come with you she came to my very first meeting she came to and then she came to my second meeting and then I've just been at GA ever since yeah okay awesome we might take another break there
our second song, again, was by Mixed Reaction. And it was called Incredible To Me Now. And both songs have been courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Have you heard of Long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of Long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience Long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type Long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Jeffrey, I'm Alphonse, I'm Erwin, and we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Today I'm talking with Ryan and we're talking about his compulsive gambling and recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Ryan, before the break, we're talking about um, you going to your first GA meeting. Yep. So what was it like to listen to other gamblers talk about your problem? It was really weird, actually, because when I was sharing I felt I was obviously very emotional, but um, I felt as though there was a lot of things I didn't relate to purely simply because I was maybe one of the youngest people in the meeting and I didn't have, you know, the the families and the businesses or whatever to associate with because I was still a bit younger. Yeah. But um, there was a lot of things that people would kind of say that I was like, oh, I used to do that. Yeah, it was really, it was actually really kind of good talking to it and just not really caring about what my family will think of me or being judged you know it was like my sister was there to help me so I didn't feel like there was there was actually a couple of things I said that I kind of looked at her and I was like oh this is kind of weird but other than that (laughs) it was a lot easier telling them than it was telling my parents for example yeah absolutely yeah and so what did you think of the program you know of the GA program at that point you know, your first meeting, could you understand it or? I probably couldn't understand how and why it works so well, to be honest. Yeah. Like just going there and talking about it and then obviously coming out with those books, um, doing the steps, sticking to page uh, 17 and that. Yeah, I just thought, why like, why doesn't everything else follow? Why doesn't gamblers help follow this concept? Like it's, it just kind of was a bit... Um, you know, I, I was still sceptical for sure. Yeah. But uh, I did see some things that I liked enough to make me want to come back to a second meeting at that point for sure. Yeah. So what do you think that was? What do you think attracted you back to the second meeting? <laughs> well, um, I, I remember someone actually sharing and um, this scared the living daylights out of me. But uh, and he shared and he goes, his first meeting, he was coming in and he, he struggled. When he, the first time he came to GA, he was struggling. Yeah. But, he, you know, he was fairly successful. He had a family and he had a successful business, had a really nice house. And, oh, there was a fourth one. And then he goes, and then his second meeting he came to, the business had gone bankrupt. He didn't have the house anymore and he had, had to have custody of his children or he didn't get to see them much. And I just remember thinking, like, that I can relate to because even well, I didn't have all of the things he had in his first meeting, but it's scary to think that the second meeting, if I don't come back, it could be, 
if I think it's bad now, it could be a hell of a lot worse in that second meeting if I don't come back, you know? Yeah. So I had to come back. Yeah. <laughs> no choice. Yeah, people often, you know, say yet. Uh, when people say, oh, that hasn't happened to me, and they say yet. And it's really, um, it's really quite true because, you know, the progression is so fast that yeah. things slip away, yeah. It is for sure. So how did, how did your life start changing once you started stopping gambling? I think I've been a very committed person. Like I shared earlier, I would always generally get to work on time. I'd do the right things. If there was something I wanted to excel in, I'd, I'd normally go into it pretty heavy. I wanted to gamble a lot, so I went into that quite heavy, obviously, at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, I just started getting into the program and just I knew it was the only option I had. For me, it was a no-brainer. Like I'd go through the 20 questions at the end and I'd be like, well, the only reason I'm saying no to some of these, the only reason I'm saying no is because I found GA when I did, 100%. I would be yes to all 20 if I had never met GA now, like without doubt. And, yeah, it just it, it was that clear to see that there were people's lives. Um, I think the thing that puzzled me was why there was people that were five, six years, 10 years up or whatever, I'm like, why are they still coming to meetings? Like, they, aren't they just good now? You know, and, and then that was in my very, very early days, that was what made me come back was I was like, well, I'm obviously a lot less healthy than what they are from surface level without knowing anything. So yeah. I just have to keep coming back and I have to just get to the next day, basically. Yeah. So um, the people who had been coming for a while... How did they help you? I, I, I related to quite a few of them. And the rawness of their shares and seeing how much better almost all of their lives were, like I don't think there's many people that have got five or ten years plus off the punt. I don't think there's many people that have got that period off that, uh, that are struggling like anywhere near as much as what I was back then. And I think it showed, but then that their shares, some of them were a lot worse than what I was when they were gambling. So I think I could see that, hang on, let's just say that I'm, you know, somewhere on a scale. They used to start, they were, their life was a lot worse than mine and now it's a lot better than mine. So obviously it's done something for them. Yeah. I think that's a value of, you know, going to a meeting and meeting these people whose lives have been much, much worse than yours. Yeah. And that's what I found going to a meeting that, you know, I, was, my, I felt my life was pretty terrible, but these people had dreadful lives and they'd come back from that. It's just, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it puts things into perspective a little bit for sure. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So how old were you when you joined GA? I was 26. Yeah. So how long have you been going? I've been going since then, but I, I've had a couple of busts in the earlier days, which were predominantly due to not attending a meeting, you know, within at least one or two weeks from when I busted. But, yeah, at least every week these days I, I don't miss, it's very rare I miss a meeting. It's, I'm always at least one pretty much. Yeah. So deciding not to go to a meeting, what brought that on? I think just being busy or being late. If I'm stuck at work or something and I'm not going to make it on time, I'd have to make that decision. And it's funny because now I feel silly saying this now because it's you know, I prefer to get to a meeting five minutes late than not go to one. But um, I think back then I was looking, still looking for an out. I wasn't fully... You know, I was like, oh, oh, it won't hurt if I don't go. I'm going to be, I'm going to go in late and everyone will be sitting down already and there might be no seats left and that, oh, let's just not go. Easy way to justify it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I remember one meeting, this was a pretty sad moment, but I, I had busted and then I was sitting in the car park and I was a bit late and I decided to make I don't know, a conscious decision to drive to a venue versus walk in the doors. <laughs> I was already there. I'd driven, I'd like made the effort to get to GA and I didn't want to go in. 
I still chose that that's what I wanted to do. So even though I'd somewhat been going off and on then, just obviously I hadn't got the program then because it was just, it was, it was still an option for me, you know? Yeah. So uh, you're talking about that not being an option today. So what's it like having recovery in your life now? Oh, <laughs> um, where to begin? My life's like, my life's completely different now, you know, and there's so many things that I still want to work on that I believe that I probably wouldn't have to work on if I had never gambled. That's okay. Yeah, my life's just so much better. I'm able to be honest to people. Um, I can look at my parents in the eyes and know that I'm not lying to them every day. Uh, my friends, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any lies that I've hidden from any of my friends. I think pretty much all of my close friends know a big, a big part of my story enough to know. Yep. And, and it's just really good. I don't feel like I have to lie to people now. And um, just even from a, and from a financial perspective, it, not that that's what the only thing it's about, but it's not even comparable. I've actually got stuff to show for now, you know, so it's amazing. I've, Got a house that we built last year, which I never thought would happen. I used to have a credit rating that was it was very low I, when I downloaded it. I think probably seven, six years ago or something, and I've now got an extremely good credit rating. Got the house, you know, in a really uh, happy relationship, and we've got a, a a child on the way due next month, which is just like yeah, it, there's no way any of this would happen, and I'd be feeling as good about it as I do if I hadn't come across GA. Yeah, it is a good feeling, isn't it, to, to break free of that cycle? Yeah, definitely. So I hope it's forever, but, you, you know, that's, you, you can't say that. Day at a time, yeah. But it is <laughs> day at a time. Yeah. So you mentioned you have a partner. So how difficult was it letting a partner know about your gambling history? It was actually pretty hard. I thought that it was something I didn't want to carry for a long time and then open up because it can be obviously quite a, a deal breaker to many people. Yeah. So I, I kind of said it early on and luckily enough, she still stayed with me. So I am very grateful, but yeah, I think I just didn't like the idea of thinking about keeping a lie because then I probably would have gone on for longer and then it would have been even harder. So I just got it out the way. I think that's the thing. I think if you start keeping secrets, then it starts that process of, you know, if you can't be honest in your relationships, then, yeah, it, it starts being a real problem. Yeah, definitely. So you just got to get it out the way. And it's amazing how many times in my head I think things are going to be a lot worse than they are. And, like, the big ones, my, my parents, you know, they thought, the day that I said, oh, I don't want to gamble again, and this is, and I'm being honest to you, they thought that that would be enough. And I probably would too if I was in their shoes. That's the commitment that they've, that I've told them. That's, we'll do that. But then obviously, because I did keep on slipping up, I just it just became a long lie. My, my life was just a big lie. The whole time I had to pretend I was really good and, and I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. The difficulty, I think, with that lying is having the multiple stories that you you never have a really consistent story and you've got to tell different people different stories and trying to keep track of who you've told what. Yeah, no, exactly. You get yourself in a bit of a trap sometimes. you got to, like, what, if you're doing that, obviously, so you've got to, um, but it's just so much easier now to just not even worry about what I'm doing and it's not there's nothing to hide, you know, can people can go through my bank account if, if they want and like there's like there's nothing it's all good you know yeah yeah that's good yeah so being in GA you know part of GA is you know being of service to other people so um what's your relationship like with you know something like a sponsor or sponsees in in the fellowship it's really close I think that in the program you know there's a big circle there's quite a few people of us that are pretty tight and if I didn't go to a meeting for a few weeks for example I'm pretty certain actually I'd, I'd probably get a call from someone to be like are you okay and 
and vice versa. I think, you know, there's people I haven't seen in a while and, and that's what I love about it. It's that even though we've got to do our own recovery ourselves and, you know, the only thing that matters for me is my own recovery, but I know that I couldn't do it if I didn't have these people that were keeping me accountable and that were supporting me, that were helping me with, with things. Obviously, the idea of the sponsor is you've got your, your questions you want to ask, the steps to go through. You've got that person you can fall back on and ask. And it's, it's great. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone. I think that's the big thing. You're only alone if you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the people that generally have the time up, it's very rare that they do everything by themselves. In fact, I, I don't know anyone that does. You know, they're all people that are involved. They're close with everybody. They care about everyone's recovery. You know, they reach out to the, to the new people that rock up and they make sure that they stay in the program. And these are all the things the longer-term people do because they've learned that that's, that's what works to make the whole program stick together, I think. Yeah. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gambles Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 0396966108 or you can go online at gaaustralia.org.au uh, for more information about meetings and phone contacts throughout Australia. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Ryan for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how being a member of Gambles Anonymous helped him. Thanks, Ryan. A pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me. No worries. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we plan to talk to a member of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, about their journey of recovery from alcohol addiction. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.